Hello and welcome to another edition of Talk Talk. My name is Kevin Aronson from Hampshire School of Photography and Talk Talk is Photographers Talking or Photographers in Conversation. At the moment, we're halfway through a 10-part series looking at photography basics. This week, we're looking at focus and giving you a couple of tips on making sure your images are tack sharp all the time. Focus. That's not, come on, I'm not telling you to do that. Focus, I'm just, I'm just pontificating over the word focus. You know, um, there are some things that you see when you're a photography teacher uh, that you, you kind of experience them multiple times and they don't stop happening. And one of them is when new students or potential new students in conversation talk about the problems they, they have with their photography, um, you know, apart from the fact they're shooting in auto most of the time, um, which creates its own issues. The, the, the two most common problems that I come across are either my pictures are too dark or my pictures are always out of focus or blurred. And sometimes that's nothing to do with focus. That's sometimes because they've been taking their pictures at a shutter speed that was too slow for them to handhold properly. But we're not talking about that. We kind of covered that a little bit in the, in the shutter speed um, tutorial. We're continuing the 10-session series or 10-module series looking at photography basics. This one is looking at controlling your focus. And controlling your focus, nailing your focus is actually really very important. And some would argue that it's more important to get your focus correct than it is your exposure. Now, think of it this way. Let's say you took a picture and something, and it's a bit overexposed, it's a bit bright, or maybe it's a little bit dark. Well, you can stick your photo into Lightroom or Photoshop or Affinity or whatever editing software you're working with and adjust it and just, you know, brighten it up, darken it down until it looks right. But if you take a photograph and it's out of focus, I'm afraid there's nothing you can do about it. Now, Photoshop has got some pretty cool tools inside it to, to sharpen up your image, and so does Lightroom have some excellent tools. But they only really sharpen photographs which are already sharp. So if you take a picture which is actually sharp in the camera, they then make it really sharp because they can't actually make a blurred picture sharp. The sharpening process to one to, to a greater or lesser extent, is basically consisting of improving the contrast of pixels in the sharper elements of your photograph. So most editing software is able to detect the sharp parts of your image based on how pixels are, are, are tightly close together and how they transition from dark to light. And Lightroom and Photoshop, which are the, the, the two editing pieces of software I teach, they're both looking at those pixels in your image, which have just come from your sensor, and applying extra contrast between those pixels. So from a distance, the image looks sharper. But it only works if actually you're starting with a sharp image to start with. Isn't that kind of weird? Um, I guess if an image is just very slightly of sharp, it helps. It does help a little bit. But if your picture is blurred, 
there is nothing you can do about it. And if you've taken a picture of someone standing in front of your camera and actually you haven't got them in focus, you've got the background behind them in focus or the person off to the right or to the left of them in focus, but not them in focus, and they're all soft, you can't make them sharp. No matter how, how much money you spend on editing software, you can't make them sharp. So getting the focus right in the camera is the only way of doing it. All right? Excuse me, when I have a swig of chicken and leek soup with added spicy sauce. Mm. I, I put um, some hot chilli sauce in with my soups always. Gives them a bit of a kick. So what we're going to do today is look at a couple of ways. And it's, this is really basic stuff because there's only so much you can do on an audio format like this. If I was shooting this in video, I could show you some stuff. Obviously... The way to do it, here we go again, is to come to my workshops or come, come to one of my workshops, whether it's a one day introduction to photography or maybe a year's worth of training on one of my photography masterclass groups. Uh, and that way you'll, you'll actually get the full teaching and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, but there's some stuff we can do here um, just using an audio description of what's going on. It's not too difficult. So just to stay with me and we'll see how this goes. Let's go back to the early days of consumer cameras when Kodak launched the first cameras that the general public could buy, brownie cameras. Um, they provided a little instruction sheet with the camera which said basically, place the subject you're photographing in the center of the frame, put the sun behind you, squeeze the trigger gently, which is really good. Well, the bit about squeezing the trigger gently Putting the sun behind you as a photographer is a dreadful place for the sun to be because it's going to make anyone that you're photographing squint because the sun's in their eyes. But the other thing, putting them in the centre of the frame, was just really to make it easy um, in, in terms of nailing the focus. Today's modern cameras, usually they come from factory with the centre point. Right in the middle of the frame, as you look through the viewfinder, in the centre there's a little square... And if you put that over somebody's face and half press the shutter button, it'll lock onto that person. Sometimes you'll see a little square appear, or maybe there's already a square there and it changes colour. Sometimes you hear a beep, although I turn my beeps off. I hate it when you're out with someone with a camera and all you hear beep, beep, beep. Drives me nuts. Turn the beep off, for goodness sake. Turn the beep off. You should be able to see a visual indication in the viewfinder when it's locked the focus. So you put that little square or circle or whatever it is, crosshair, depending on your camera, over somebody's face. You press your shutter button, you'll hear the beep, or you'll see you'll see the little indicator change in the viewfinder, and you know that it's locked on the focus and you you take the photo. Sometimes you don't even have to stop to check. You just press the button down, knowing full well that it's going to lock onto the, uh, that centre spot. Anything in front of that centre spot, hopefully the person you're photographing, is going to be lo locked onto. The focus is going to be absolutely on the button. And you take the picture all in one movement. Press, squeeze, click. Bang, shebang. You got it. You've nailed it. Sometimes. The problem is, what happens... If the person you're photographing isn't in the centre of the frame, let's say they're standing to the side of the frame because behind them is a beautiful scene. Fountains, lakes, rampaging wildebeest, um, dinosaurs, maybe some, I don't know, there's a lake in front of you with mermaids shooting out and dancing in the air. And Anyway, 
you get the idea. Basically, you're photographing someone in front of a really cool scene, a beautiful place, you're on holiday, and, you, you know, maybe it's the Eiffel Tower off to the right, so you actually want to see the Eiffel Tower in the shot. So you take the picture, and the Eiffel Tower is nice and sharp, but your friend is standing off to the left-hand side of the frame. It's just blurred. So what's going on? That little square in the centre of your frame is the focus point. And by default, in most cameras, that's where the camera focuses. It's looking to focus on something that is in the middle of the frame. So when you hold that focus point over someone or something, it detects it, adjusts your lens to focus, and that's when you take the picture. Now, if they're standing to the side of the frame, it's no good sometimes if the background's in focus and that person you're photographing is blurred. So is it, here's a couple of really simple techniques to help you get the right thing in focus. Okay, the first one is called lock and recompose. So there's your friend standing off to the left-hand side of the frame and a beautiful scene behind them. Point your camera at your friend. Put them in the centre of the frame so that little focusing square or crosshair or circle, whatever it is, is over them. Now press your shutter button halfway down. Don't press it all the way. Halfway down and hold it there. Hold the pressure. Keep the pressure on that button. And you know you're halfway there because it'll beep or you'll see a little focusing point change colour or change shape. It's an indicator that the focus is locked. Now, without removing your pressure from that shutter button, keep your finger on it, recompose the picture so that your friend, the subject, whoever he or she is, is now at the side of the frame and in the centre of the frame is the scene behind them that you're interested in. Again, without releasing pressure at this point, press the button all the way down and the picture is taken. So what's happened? Because you locked the focus on your friend, your friend's going to be in focus. But because you recomposed the shot to put your friend to the left-hand side of the frame, your friend's now going to be at the left-hand side of your frame, but nice and sharp. And the background is going to be softer behind them. It's a really simple solution. Lock and recompose, and it's used by photographers all over the face of the planet. I can remember watching some press photographers outside Downing Street and just watching them locking and recomposing, locking and recomposing. You can just see, you know, the camera slightly moves before they take the picture, then they take the picture. Camera slightly moves before they take the picture, and then they take the picture. Because they've locked their centre point onto that individual and then recomposed the shot so that that individual is either now the left or the right, or in theory, top or bottom of the frame, and they're no longer in the centre, but the focus has been on them, not on the centre. That's a really very simple technique, lock and recompose. Now, if you're taking a lot of pictures of someone, maybe, I don't know, maybe your girlfriend or your boyfriend has said, oh, I need some pictures for my website or for my Facebook cover photo or, or something, whatever, and you're out taking lots of pictures, or maybe the next-door neighbour said, would you take a picture of... Um, my kids, uh, my grandchildren, or, um, come and take a family photo, whatever. 
but you're taking a photo of somebody else and you're going to take a lot of shots because they want to look at a number of them and decide which is the one they like and then pick their favourite. You know, maybe someone's pulling faces or they're, they're not normally an attractive looking person and you have to work with them and eventually you just get the right look and you've nailed it. You've taken a hundred shots, but only one is good enough. That's not, it's not uncommon, so don't beat yourself up if that happens with you. So, what if you want to take a hundred shots? Well, locking and recomposing a hundred times is a pain in the butt, and there is a better way. If you know you're going to be shooting a number of images which are basically the same, but you just want to pick the right one, then rather than locking and recomposing, you need to change the position of your focus point from the centre of the screen to the left or the right-hand side of the screen. That's as you look inside the viewfinder. And it may be that you want to move it up a little bit, so it's going to go a little bit to the left and up, or a little bit to the right and up, so it's over the face or the eyes of the person you're photographing. Always good to focus on the eyes when you're photographing people. Get the eyes sharp and you're halfway there to getting a successful picture. So I usually move my focus point over their eyes and if they're if they're looking at you at an angle so they're not square on you know both eyes aren't exactly the same distance from you because the face is turned to one side then it just kind of works better if you focus on the closest eye so how you move your focus point is down to you to read your instruction manual <laughs> yes can you remember those instruction manuals of course some cameras don't even issue them anymore you have to log on and download a pdf Either way, you'll have to find out how you move your focus point around. Once you've found it out, you can then move it around to be just over that person's eye. And then you don't have to lock and recompose because your friend who's now standing off to the left-hand side of the frame, as you look at it, perhaps he or she is leaning against a tree and they've got the Empire State Building behind them or the Taj Mahal or the Eiffel Tower or the London Eye or <laughs> McDonald's. But either way, they're off to one side and... The background is now clearly visible to everybody. And the beauty of this is it's it's kind of like less work because locking and recomposing all the time is a bit of a pain if you're doing it a lot, but actually it's utterly brilliant if you've only got to do it a few times. So um, as a professional photographer, I would lock and recompose a lot, but I know if I'm shooting a lot of shots of someone and I'm going to be locking and recomposing a lot, I'll just move my focus point. Don't forget to move your focus point back to the middle afterwards. The next time you take a shot where the subject's likely to be in the middle, of course, it won't focus on them. In, a, in an ideal world, you won't allow that to happen because you're now aware that you can move your focus point around and you'll adjust it for all the shots you do. And some you won't. Because there are other options for focusing. In most cameras, you've got a whole playbook of possible options. Some of them incredibly complicated, but I didn't want to cover them all today. I mean, instead of a single point, you can have a, a clump of points, maybe a, a group of nine or the right-hand side of the picture or the top half of the picture or a centre elliptical shape, or you can have them all active at the same time. It's just nuts, the, the options, but we can't cover them all in a Tog Talk broadcast. But simple stuff like block and recompose or move your focus point around is a piece of cake. If you're lucky enough to be the owner of a mirrorless camera, that's the latest technology that's taken over from DSLRs, then you're faced with options that you would not have had as a DSLR owner. 
And I guess one of the most striking changes and developments in focusing technology has been face detection and eye detection. And this kind of just makes it a lot easier when you've got groups of people, particularly if you're photographing kids, because it finds their faces, it finds their eyes, and, and it locks onto them and just makes the whole focusing thing so much simpler, especially if they're on the move. So if you've got kids like running towards you, and you've got continuous focus switched on with eye detection or face detection, even though they're running all over the place, it will find them and lock onto them and stay with them. It's remarkable technology. Call me old. Okay. Call me old or old-fashioned. I, I don't use face detection or eye detection very much. Really, very rarely. I guess because, you know, over 50 years of focusing the old-school way, I don't need it to be frank. Um, I'm pretty good at nailing the focus without all of that. But anyone, I guess, who's new to photography would find it exceptionally helpful. Okay. One other piece of advice I would give you, uh, and that is when you're shooting people, more, especially more than one person, make sure that you've given yourself enough depth of field for movement to take place. If your lens is capable of opening up to very wide apertures like f2, 1.8, 1.6, 1.4 and so on. That's fine if you've got a static subject, but with a moving subject, your depth of field is wafer thin. And it's entirely feasible that with such a thin depth of field created by that wide aperture, someone running towards you, by the time you actually lock on and press the button or react and then press the button, they could have moved out of the depth of field and into the area where it's a bit soft. So you end up with pictures where their faces aren't as sharp as they should be. So, you know, if you're capturing moving subjects coming towards you, I, I, I would be shooting at f4, 5.6, something like that. But it depends on the lens and how far away they are, how quickly they're moving and so on. You just perhaps need to experiment. Just be mindful. Just be mindful that it's not always good to have super narrow depth of field and going for that bokeh background if it means the subject's going to be soft because they've the depth of field you've given them to work in is so tiny that um, it's a bit unforgiving and it's easy for them to actually slip out of that depth of field. Okay, I think that'll do for today. It is just an introduction, um, and as normal, if you've got any questions, post them down below, and you can email me at support at gohsp.com, support at gohsp.com. Talk Talk is sponsored by the Hampshire School of Photography. We have a training centre in Hampshire, which is in southern England, and you're welcome to visit our website, which is gohsp.com, and look at all the different workshops we run there for photography, from single one-day courses through to one-year courses, master classes, inner circles, private mentoring, and so on. And, of course, there are courses on Photoshop and Lightroom. My name is Kevin Aronson, I'm a professional photographer and I've been behind the camera now for about 52, 53 years. I run an online blog called The Photography Teacher, which contains tips, techniques and video tutorials to help you with your photography and the editing skills. So when you combine the training centre, the blog and this podcast, I'm hoping there's enough material out there to help you grow your photography to where you want it to be. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Talk Talk. I look forward to you joining me again at the next one.